0: Have a great episode lined up for you today. Two uh, of to my great friends, creative friends, Jim Oosley and Oscar Madrid. But first I want to ask you a question. What type of New Year's resolution do you partake in? Do You look at your bills, uh, you try to cut things back. I know I'm going to look at mine. How about reassessing your insurance needs? Uh, there might be a chance to save money and to start the new year outright by calling Mike Abishon at Premier Insurance Agency, and as an independent agent, Mike is working for you and not the insurance companies. Are you buying a boat this year, in 2016? Call Mike. Uh, you just bought a home or you're going to buy a new car? Call Mike. Jay Leno just gave you a classic car? Call Mike. Albashan. 314-729-0054 in both Missouri and Illinois. Or You can email him at MikeA at Premier insagency.com. That's P R E M I E R. insagency.com. So you have big New Year's plans? I'm planning on being in Nashville myself, going to check out some shows, see some friends, get some more interviews for the podcast. If you're going out, you might want a new look, but you're not sure what to do. If that's the case, call my friend Sharon Hall at Brooks Salon in Clayton. See if she has any suggestions for you. She's cut my hair a few times, has done a great job, so I think she'll do a great job for you as well. It may be too late at this time of the year, but uh, there are plenty of great events coming up in 2016, and you're going to want a fresh haircut to look good. Sharon's a pro, and she definitely can help you out. Give her a ring at 314-651-1763, or check her out via Facebook at uh, Brooks Salon for men and women in Clayton on Forsyth. So I'm currently building a Conversations with Calcaterra page, and I'll post a link to her on that. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter at Ken Calcaterra and on Instagram, Ken Calcaterra. And you also may find me working on the social media over at Sips. Uh, Sips is Sharon's Cafe and Juice Bar. It's located next to Brook Salon, and it's just east of World News on Forsyth and Central in Clayton. I'm not a coffee drinker myself, but I'll probably get a beet juice with uh, carrot and apple. That's uh, great. It's you know, she has them categorized by colors, so that's uh that's the red juice. If you do like coffee, she has local coffee and uses no syrups in the lattes, just natural ingredients. Check out sips for their food selection as well. It's 7818 Forsyth Boulevard. I know my guest Jim Oosley. He uh he's definitely a coffee drinker. We've met a few times over coffee to work on some screenplays and other creative projects. Jim, uh, Jim's jim been a writer. He's been an actor for a number of years, just an all-around good guy, really creative. His uh, tag team partner in this, Oscar Madrid, they've been working together for, uh, for about 15 years now, have created some amazing things, including the Bloodfest Club. You're going to listen to this song here in a moment. That Jim created. It's part of the band that's featured in Bloodfest Club, one of the main characters. You'll get an idea of his vibe. Both great guys. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about their first feature, a mockumentary called Hooch and Daddy-O, characters that appear in their graphic novel collection of stories called The Rough and Tumble amazing artwork by the great Ben Sawyer and uh, he's another collaborator the guys are working on another comic coming up and uh, decided that movies are great but comics allow them to put something together more instantly it takes a lot of time still to create something like this but it's it's feasible for less money in the movie world as the guys will talk about it takes a lot of time somebody to pick up your script and want to put the money into it this is something that they can do, and this is something that they've done. You can find Rough and Tumble at uh, com. You can look on my YouTube. Find it through www.kencalcaterra.com. Click the link for YouTube. Go to my YouTube page. And then uh, you can click in the documentary section on the Bloodfest Club down on the farm. It's a behind-the-scenes vignette that I created with the guys. So to give you an idea of the comic stylings, especially Mr. Jim Oosley and his, his offbeat creations, check out this song titled The Days of Wine and Roadhead. You're listening to Conversations with Calcaterra. All right, in the uh, studio tonight, we have the dynamic duo, Jimmy Usley and Oscar Madrid. What's up, fellas?
1: It's a pleasure to be here with you, Mr. Casey. Absolute ple- pleasure.
0: Are you guys being honest? <laughs> well,
1: you know.
2: Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Good, good. What are you guys working on these days?
2: Oh, lots of comic book stuff, for sure. That's been uh, our focus, and I think we've kind of fallen in love with that process. We've talked about... Um, the fact that the instant gratification of sending someone, you know, your story and getting back art uh, within, you know, hours uh, is just too hard to pass up. So that's been something that we've been really excited about.
1: I want to clarify something really quick. When he says instant gratification, it's a different way than what you usually think of, Ken. Instant (laughs) gratification. It's about having a story idea and then be able to put it out right away and that's what's nice about.
0: Okay, it. we'll keep the personal things personal. All right, we don't need to put those out over the okay. air. Right. I mean, I was wanting some instant gratification, so I figured, hey, let's <laughs> let's write a screenplay with Jim Oosley, and it's just, yeah, it's just, I think I chose the wrong person out of the two. <laughs> it's,
1: you know, we were uh, we're we're trying to write something together. Yes, he had an idea for something.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't really say because it it's too good of an idea. No,
1: it's too hot. But uh, <laughs> it's tough because like uh. You know, it's it's really hard to work on something that is didn't originate with you or someone you've been writing with for a long time. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. And that's one thing with Oscar is, you know, we've known each other for so long that it's it's so comfortable. And you know you know, he knows my weaknesses and strengths and and likewise and it's it's a no brainer when we work together. It just it happens so quickly and smoothly.
2: Yeah, it's come together um, in a way, you know, before we would spend a lot of time on drafts, and it seemed like um, the the stories became kind of meandering, and uh, it was a little rough. We had, you know, many more rough patches than we do now, Uh, and one of the things I think we realized is that stories have a a beginning, middle, and end, and once we realized that, it was a breakthrough
1: for us. (laughs) Which you wouldn't
2: think would be a difficult thing to, to comprehend you know, but it takes a while, but, but also
1: so easily be convoluted.
2: Yeah. Right. But in all seriousness, I mean, I think, um, you know, now when we, um, write uh, a lot of it's over email and sort of sending things back and forth that we'll kind of get through those first two drafts really quickly, or that first one will be much more polished. Um, and that just comes with, you know, obviously more and more stories and, and, and going through this, but this whole new format of comic books has been something that's been really exciting for us. I mean, we did a movie, and we did a short film, and we did a feature-length screenplay, and now we've done some comic books. And for uh, for me, it's just really exciting, like the mechanics of how to tell a story and the page turns and sort of the constraints when we first started out with Ink and Drink Comics where we were sort of limited to four pages, and you had to tell your story, uh, you know, within those four pages. was oh, the first that was, issue. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was really nice challenge, and it kind of really made us very disciplined when we approached it.
1: It used to be intimidating to think about, you know, writing a short story or a short film because you would think, well, I kind of need a, a lot more space to, with my characters and, you know, to, to flesh out the plot and everything else. So it was really hard to even wrap my head around writing a short story. But with Ink and Drink, working with them, uh, and they're a, a, a St. Louis-based publisher. They publish two anthologies a year. Um, they just released Sober, which is sort of a, uh, a true story anthology. Um, and the next one is a horror anthology that comes out in april i know it debuts at wizard world next year right which is really yeah. cool but um now that we've gotten to a groove with that it's 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 a really fun challenge and we've really gotten to kind of a groove with it you mm-hmm. know it's not it's not intimidating at all now which is awesome
0: Well, like anything you put in uh, enough time and, and you guys have written together enough uh, what is it what 10 years 12 years now
2: oh man i haven't I- because I think I
0: met you guys really in what 2006, maybe.
2: I bet it's been more than 15 years. I okay. Yeah, yeah, easily, probably.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of time together, a lot of time just writing. You guys have done some some cool projects, including what I'm holding here in my in my hot little hand is uh, the Rough and Tumble collection. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about uh, how that came along.
1: Um, that one originally, we were working on the screenplay for uh, the Bloodfest Club, which. Became student bodies. It sounds like later. you said Butt Fest Club. We that was Working our first draft. <laughs> we sold that to a different company that specializes in a certain type of film. But um, no, and so what happened was the producers that optioned it said we wanted to do a comic book uh, with these characters, and can you guys do this? So we put together a pitch. They liked the pitch, and then we started writing um, a comic, and the option ran out, and, and that that sort of went away but uh that kind of got us started on the comic book thing and then we met jason green and steve higgins from ink and drink they invited us on board and we started writing comics and then we started thinking well we should do our own comic that'd be
2: great our own anthology you know yeah so that's where the idea for the kickstarter came up we said okay let's take these stories we've published through ink and drink let's take this new story um, and uh, and maybe write another one and uh, put them together in this collection and we had never done a Kickstarter before um, and uh, so we were and we've never obviously published a book before so um, it was a really um, great learning you know experience for us and we worked with um, Benjamin Sawyer who did all the artwork and then Grant Essig who did the, did the design which was um, phenomenal so um, you know this process for us has been really exciting and you know we we kind of feel like now you know it'd be really great to tell you know one story and do you know another book in the future so that's what we're kind of writing now
0: very cool what i what i really like about it was that um you incorporated some of your past characters so most of the audience may not know what you've done in the past so you have hooch and daddy-o they're in one of the stories and then you also have sonny kane who's in another one so let's talk about Hoochin Daddy O first, which is your debut feature that uh that you guys put together. What year was that? Two
2: thousand It was two thousand five. Yeah. yeah, we did the first uh film festival for it. Uh it was it was pretty you know, it was funny. We we went back to some of the material we had, so um we I guess we had a lot of time on our hands back then because we actually um <laughs> We actually created uh a series of episodes, um, that, that spanned five seasons of Hooch and Daddyo and we had all these little synopses written for these episodes and For all five uh, years. Yeah, for all five years. I Every think we episode. even like had air dates that they occurred. <laughs> I mean, we, we geeked out pretty pretty hardcore with it. And uh so we, we kinda went back to those and said be fun to kinda pull them back into this book and then uh so we looked through those and said, Let's let's actually, you know, you know, try try out one of these stories and uh and that's what we did. We did uh Kings of the Nighttime World is the name of the story and they take on Mr. Cross who's their arch nemesis and uh this android gang that's sort of terrorizing the city. The Crucibots. Uh, yeah. And of course you've got your usual daddy-o, you know, inappropriateness. Uh and uh it was a, it was really fun. And it definitely gives a different, you know, tone uh and, and, and a style that was pretty unique to to the book I think it really pops on the on the page and uh and it's in that sort of classic style the golden age style that we are attracted to
1: and we actually uh we Oscar and I actually worked together years before we started writing together we were in magic smoking monkey theater together um Oscar was a founding member actually of the that troupe and uh and we started uh you know a couple of us in the in the troop got these leather jackets and we nicknamed each other Huchindadio. and uh you know that that sort of been that was sort of marinating in the back of our minds and when it came time to say hey we should do a movie we should try this out you know let's do Huchindadio. let's let's see what this is like and it just kind of went from there
2: yeah i think you guys originally did like a short film that was like Huchindadio or like 70s you is know era detectives thing. and then yeah then we sort of uh, brought it back and did the full length mockumentary with them set, you know, in the '80s, and uh, everybody in St. Louis, I think, that did any acting appeared in the film in one <laughs> yeah, if you way or were another. In theater, yeah, you were in that movie <laughs> at that time. Yeah, the short film thing we did years ago was like,
1: it was sort of formless and it was kind of generic, you know. So when Oscar and I started working on it with the help of Donna Northcott, mm-hmm. she was sort of our our mentor. Um, we kind of fleshed it out and made it an actual TV show, made it a mockumentary more about the actors on the show than the show itself. And it kind of created a nice balance that people seem to to enjoy.
0: Well, it's nice. And with with a mockumentary, you can get away with a certain amount of production value. So if you don't have a TV show, people are expecting a certain look. Mm -hmm. But with a mockumentary, you know, as documentaries, especially something that might've been filmed at that time or in the seventies or whatnot, then you can get away with not having the production value and really letting the content be king. Is, is that how you, you went about that? What was, what was the production design behind? What was the thought behind that, that film?
1: We did. We, uh, so all the documentary stuff took place in, in present time. And then the TV show stuff was kind of fun because we, uh, St. Louis Shakespeare and Smoking Monkey used to keep their uh, costumes at Lemp Warehouse by the brewery. And uh, if you go in there, it's like a gigantic back lot. It looks like Gotham City you know it's like this its own streets and buildings and it's really really cool not many people have had a chance to see it and uh, donna arranged for us to sort of get in there and use it as our backlot so that was sort of more or less a city that huchindio you know uh, patrolled and we based a lot of the episodes in there and uh, it worked out really well for us and it gave it a totally different look than the more modern uh, current documentary footage
0: and when you went about doing that, a lot of times you hear, write what you know or write with the resources you have. Did you write? Did you know you had that resource before you started writing or was it vice versa?
2: We didn't. No, I don't think we did. I don't think we knew much of anything when we started <laughs> writing that. Uh, but, but, yeah, we didn't. Uh, we, uh, we sort of um, lucked out with that location for sure. And we, once we realized that it was working, we... Definitely uh, spent uh, a lot of time there. I think we started to branch out a little bit and uh, started running around the, the, the outskirts of Lump with guns, and we realized maybe that wasn't a great idea. So we uh, <laughs> bad neighborhood for that, bad choice. So we, uh, but yeah, we it was a little
0: different time back in two thousand five,
2: right? It was, but we certainly embraced it once we realized it was it was working and it was a great setting for what we were trying to do.
0: And then you were shooting that over weekends. How, how many weekends total did it take to put that together? Is it an hour and a half film, 90 minutes? It's uh, about 74? 74. Oh, 74 minutes, Okay, yeah, yeah. all right.
2: Uh, you know, I think it, it might have been, you know, 15 weekends or so. I can't recall. I know we um, we certainly uh, extended the, the, the schedule a little bit when we realized we needed to do some pickup shots. And, um, you know, we had a lot of, you know, uh, you know, Learnings where we realize okay the sound was bad on this you know particular interview or maybe we should change locations up that was one thing where we had a lot of these sort of talking head moments and we realized we're using the same sort of setting and background and maybe we needed to do something a little more interesting <laughs> and fitting of the characters so we kind of went back and and reshot some stuff so um, or
1: or showing up on set to whatever location that we were at and not having a, a shot list
2: yeah that was we point were... <laughs> the camera over there
1: we'll just do it over there. That was, the duh, that's how much we knew, you know. Luckily, we had some people who were professionals who were, you know, on board and say, no, you really should do it this way. And it was like, we always say, it was like going to film school. Yeah, God bless Henry Abler for having the patience. of saying, Yeah, he was bald. We actually made him more bald. (laughs) (laughs) He had less hair on his head after he was finished.
0: And that's interesting, taking that opportunity instead of spending money to go to film school to actually do it and gain that experience, and instead of paying tuition, you know, paying your dues and putting that money into the production.
1: And You yeah. know, our only intention with it was uh, sort of to highlight our funny friends, our talented friends in Magic Smoky Monkey Theater. Um, we
2: wanted to capture that on film just for posterity. That's all we wanted to do. Um, yeah, there were no aspirations for film festivals or anything like that. Um, that stuff came later. I mean, it was originally, it was, you know, a true, you know, passion project in a way, and yeah. as Jim said, I mean, we knew all these funny people, and we thought, hey, this would be really great to to have fun and, and go out and shoot this thing.
0: And that's kind of my goal with this podcast, is to spotlight some of my funny friends. I'm just still looking for some. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, tonight is young, my friend. <laughs> we have time.
0: So jumping ahead, so you your film school is Hooch and daddy and then jump ahead, when I met you, we were... You had Bloodfest Club written, or is it the Bloodfest Club as the official title? Correct, or the, just Blood the Bloodfest
1: Club? At the time, it was the Bloodfest Club. Yeah.
0: Okay, good. You know that that the 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 is is important. In oh that. my
1: God! Can we just try to be professional here, <laughs> Oscar? What is this amateur hour? <laughs>
0: I asked for notes, and I said, send me the proper spelling of everything. I didn't. I'm not professional, so <laughs> I wrote up some – I can't even read my notes. I, I wrote them up right before you guys uh, – You're airplane anyway. It doesn't matter. But that's all right. You know, we're just, we're just going to improv here. We're just going to let it flow. It's
2: interesting, though, that you bring up the title because um, once we got the option, uh, uh, we had uh, a discussion with the producers about coming up with a new title – Um, so we spent a lot of time, uh, and I think we probably generated, you know, 20, 30 different titles.
1: We had a lot of friends like Eric Stanzi. Yeah.
2: And I think now it's called student bodies, uh, is the way that it's under the current option, but I'm sure that will change another dozen times. Uh, but yeah, the blood club, um, was certainly one that we, um, you know, we wanted to again, sort of celebrate and, you know, we're very attracted to, um, you know, eighties era television and movies. So, um, we thought we'd go back and, uh, have a character that, you know, we fell in love with, which is Sonny Kane. He's the the high school janitor. And uh, when we started to sort of uh, write this screenplay, um, we wanted to basically take some of the lessons we learned on Hooch and Daddio and apply them to this story. So we set everything in a high school. Uh, so we really had one location sort of in or- and around the school. Um, and, and we thought, what, that it, because it was one location, it'd be easy to shoot and... Yeah, we thought that. No. Uh, No. (laughs) That was not the case. (laughs) No. So so we went out after we, uh, you know, uh, optioned the screenplay and we were trying to generate interest. We went out and shot, um, you know, two days and and shot basically um, uh, a short film uh, for uh, investor purposes as a way to kind of generate awareness and get uh, more people on board with the story. Uh, Went out and did that and uh, had a great time. Went in with it was actually amazing to me how smoothly that went, yeah. and it was double the budget. Those two days we spent, we spent double what we did on Hooch and Daddy over yeah. those you know fifteen weeks. Um, but the production value was was we obviously paid there. Too. Yeah, right. And uh, we <laughs> had helped. great locations, uh, and you know Ken was a big part of that too. Yeah. So um, you know, that, to, to me that was really rewarding. Uh, even though that was you know just a vehicle for you know g- getting this script and the feature length film off the ground. It's really rewarding to see that we've applied those lessons and that we could get a product that we were really proud of out of it. Uh, So now, you know, of course, the the story's taken, um, you know, a different turn now that we've optioned it and we're not planning to produce it ourselves. Uh, We've been able to sort of like remove some of those constraints and expand the story and the scope of the story. Um, so that's been really uh, exciting, and, and that's especially something we've talked about with comic books that we don't have those limitations there's at no all. No budget, and <laughs> you're telling a
1: you know a visual story, you know, with comic books, you know, you, that's why in like the Hooch and Daddio story in the Rough and Tumble, they're crashing through a building into a different building, and there's, there's no limits, and it's great. It's great if you're a writer because there's no there are no limitations. You're right.
0: That is fantastic
1: because I don't even know if I've seen the
0: Blood Bloodfest Club short.
2: Yeah, you probably haven't. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to send you the uh, a link. Uh, it looks terrific. Uh, you know, uh, or maybe
0: I didn't. I just can't remember.
2: Yeah, you no, there's no way you would definitely remember it, Ken. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's uh, for better or worse. But no, but really, I mean, my only regret there is um, that we wouldn't have approached it like a short film. You know, at that t- at that time, it might have been interesting for us to. Um, you know, take a couple of extra days and expand that story just a little bit so that we could have marketed it as a, as a short film. But I certainly feel like um, we surrounded ourselves with a, a great group of people. And uh, and like I said, I think the finished product, uh, it gives us a lot of, uh, you know, uh, confidence that we could enter in and do another, you know, short film at any point and, and know that we could get something like that. So. Know what we're
1: getting ourselves into. And plus, just as far as life goals, I mean, It was fun hanging upside down with my ankles and arms bound with a burlap bag over my head and a a fake uh, gopher in my mouth. It
2: was a gerbil, I think.
1: (laughs) Whatever. I mean, I I haven't seen the film yet. I don't know. Yeah, I I do recall
0: a badass (laughs) behind-the-scenes documentary where you're talking about that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Norris the gerbil, I believe, was the uh, name.
1: (laughs) Norris the gerbil, that's right. I remember yeah, that name yeah. of the gerbil,
0: yeah, and and he had worked with uh, a famous actor at some point. You had stated in this badass behind the scenes documentary that I saw.
1: I wish I wish we hadn't been <laughs> drinking when we did that. I
2: loved, by the way, I I'm not making this up. It sounds like I am, but I loved that documentary. It's and, great, yeah, and, and, it was awesome, and it's it's such a nice little postcard uh, that you know I can kind of go back to and remember that. I mean, those were two incredible days. Uh, and you know, I definitely solidified my love for, you know, making, you know, film. Uh but yeah, I thought it was terrific. So
0: Yeah, yeah. It was and and I have to note the filmmaker was a little lazy in that, so we didn't get we, we don't see the first day. It was it was captured on camera, but we just see the second day down on the farm. But yeah, that, yeah who but, was
1: the filmmaker that made the documentary? I don't because know that. I'd that really that guy like to have a, a, a piece of my mind. Yeah, you yeah. should.
0: I mean there's at some point maybe we'll We'll unleash some of that other footage, and what we'll see. Yeah, that would be great. Days in the school and whatnot. that cool. Yeah, that That'd was a, that was a fun project, and I enjoyed collaborating with you guys on that and and putting that together. And it it was a great project for graduate school. But uh, yeah, it, it's nice to look back and see all our friends working on that, and just it was such a good team, and everybody was pitching in. Even you know Jim and I were talking about. Uh, my buddy john john webster who is one of the people Mm -hmm. that's at the orchard at webster farms and talking about some of his artwork and everything and jim was asking one of the posters for my movie jacob's room was like who did that i was like oh it was John. oh john you know john from from uh shooting the Bloodfest club so yeah it was uh it was just everybody came together and it was an amazing experience and that's Mm -hmm. that's the fun of filmmaking and I'm glad you guys put that together and had the team that you did because it was just a magical experience. Yeah,
1: you know, it's such a collaborative art form, you know, and it's it could either be uh the best thing ever or a disastrous mess, you know. And for us it was great. Everybody was just so nice. Everybody worked hard and it was just so much fun. You couldn't ask for a better bunch of people to And I think
2: we were so prepared that it allowed us to endure some of the little mishaps that occurred. Um, You know, we had uh, an actor cast in a role uh, and he didn't show up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, our whole, you know, scenes were based it was around. David Carrading, right? That was before his, <laughs> no. his mishap. Oh, was it wasn't? Okay. No, no, was
0: no, no, Oh, it's the character that was a David Carrading type. <laughs> right. Okay. That, that always confuses yeah. me. We he'll
1: we he'll remain say, nameless. But, yeah. uh, but, we can't say who he was, but drugs are bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> but, all we can say. But,
2: I mean, the fact that we were prepared and we had such a great crew and we had a casting director and we had people that, that you know, sort of, you know,. Uh, you know, answer the bell essentially, and and allowed us to find a great actor who, um, you know, did it better than we could have ever imagined.
1: Sorry, is that a film term? Uh, uh, answer the bell.
2: Uh, now it is, I guess. All
1: right.
0: <laughs> but it's one of those things that when you, when you are prepared, yeah, it's controlled chaos. Anybody that that's listening to this that hasn't been involved in production, it's just we had it, and this being a little bit of a smaller production, there were still a lot of people. We had my. My dad's motorhome out there. We had um, a lot of people. Yeah, so it was, yeah. it, it, was a, it was a large undertaking, even though it was a smaller-scale production. And just something, it's, in this industry, something is always going to go wrong. And it's just how you deal with that and how you roll with the punches. And I, I think you guys did very well with, with everything there and, and the crew that we had. It worked out yeah, really well. It was a great experience. And, and I can't say that for everything that I've worked on because some things that like chaos it's just it just it doesn't yield a good product and i mm. and i've seen some scenes and i think you did send that to me at one point but i <laughs> yeah. i just had to give you trouble so i could try to build myself up and and that documentary which i'll post on in the uh, caption of this of the show so people can take a look at that and, and find out a little more about Bloodfest Club because I'm yeah. assuming with your option you, you can't show the short is that part of the deal right right I mean of it,
2: a... well I mean it's it's out there uh, the trailer's out there but uh, yeah we, we, we're not putting the short out into any festivals or anything like that but yeah uh, um... But yeah, the trailer turned out great too, and uh, we had uh, Mark Dodson, uh, voice of uh, Solacious oh, yeah. Crumb uh, from Star Wars: Return of the Jedi, yeah. and uh, the Gremlins uh, do the do the he was the announcer for the trailer. So, um, and uh, Grant Essig uh, did some work on uh, music on it. Oh, yeah. uh, with, with Jim. Yeah, uh, it turned out really really uh, well, and I'm really proud of the trailer as well. It's amazing when you're when
1: you're on set working, and we we kind of saw this on Daddy Dedio too. If you oh step- there's a sequel to Hooch and
0: Daddy-O?
1: No, there's not a sequel to Hooch and Daddy-O. <laughs> For a good one though. That was good. <laughs> there could be. Do you want one?
0: Yeah, let's do <laughs> it. Okay,
1: let's do it tomorrow. if you step back and look at it, it's like there's so many variables working against you. There's so many things that could go wrong. You know, so we, we felt like we've been really lucky so far with that stuff. You know, because there's so much working against you at all times. Be it weather or um an actor from out of town who's having <laughs> issues, you know, there's so much
2: stuff and just to be able to pull through it and to keep organized. That's, that really says a lot. I think the thing that I always take away from it is I'm like so proud uh, that, you know, these really talented people actually worked on a project with us. Yeah, like, right. You know, when I yeah. look around, I'm like, there, there's so much talent um, that's there and we have this great, you know, network of friends uh, that, that, uh, are working in the industry, and that are very good at what they do. And uh, so it's always really nice. And especially, you know, with the rough and tumble, that's another great example of that of us, you know, going to to Ben and Grant and putting this thing together and yeah. and creating something that we're really really proud of. And that's what we said when we set out to do the book, we're like, we want this book that's going to look really great. You know on our bookshelf and that we can open up and, and show our kids and be proud of you know years down the line and uh, and that people are going to enjoy so so that was the real, the real goal.
0: Now where can the audience find rough and Tumble and see how great it does look because it's amazing hardcover it's just the the color really pops and it's just fun stories. How can people see this?
1: Uh, you can go to roughcomic.com to order the book you can go to amazon.com to order the book. Uh, if you're here in St. Louis, we recommend you go to the the independent brick and mortar shops, Left Bank Books, uh, Star Clipper, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, where else is that right now? Yeah, but yeah, those places you can find all those on our Facebook page, and that's good.
0: I, I I like the even though Amazon is so convenient, you can find everything. I enjoy perusing through the brick and mortar shops and just talking with the people and finding something I wouldn't with Amazon. Generally, I have to go and find something or if I know of something, but it's good to have someone knowledgeable that can recommend. So if I say, hey, I'm looking for the rough and tumble, and then what other great comics do you have or, or what's Plus, a good, yeah. you know, the biography of of Jim Oosley? <laughs> that, when's that come out? That's a pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, a pamphlet.
1: There's not much there, but it, there's something that, you know, that a lot of people miss now in, you know, online shopping and everything else is going into a, a brick-and-mortar place and holding the book in your hand. Even just the smell of a, a bookstore is why I really miss record stores. I mean, there's still a few around, but just be able to go in and to hold it in your hand and check it out and look at other books that are there, there's just something really special about that that you don't really get with the online shopping
2: thing. Yeah, I, I will say that our book, um, I, and I guarantee uh, that you'll feel this way if you buy it, it smells amazing.
1: Mm.
0: What I'm going to smell it right now. Hold smell it. it. Keep talking. It's while I smell. it's
2: so good. Just open that right up. There what, you go. What do you smell when you smell that?
0: It's nice and clean.
2: Yeah, it does. It's great. Yeah. I'll
1: tell you something. You know, when we first got the books back in the the boxes shipped to us, I opened it up. I cracked open a copy and I smelled it. You know what I smelled?
0: What'd you smell, Jim?
1: Dreams coming true. <laughs> You know what that smells like?
0: What does that smell like, Jim?
1: Strawberries and chicken.
0: Strawberries and chicken. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I don't know why, but it does. I'm
0: smelling the strawberries, but not so much the chicken. Well, keep smelling, my friend.
2: I've got some inventory at my house, so it's really always an awkward situation when Jim shows up at my house and we're trying to have family time, and then I've got to sort of let him in and go down to the basement to to open up the books and smell them.
1: Here's the thing. I've got my book, my copy. I've had it for a while. I don't have that fresh smell anymore. The only way to get that is a crack open a fresh copy, man.
0: Right on, right on. We do
2: discount those. Those are $5 off. The, the ones that, that smell that, like that, chicken that, that, that Jim's... Yeah, that Jim's... Greasy for fingerprints are on? Well, not my
1: fingerprints and smelling. That's Those are... We still sell those. But the ones that I lick, because <laughs> that smells so good, we, we discount those. Yeah, I mean, you can tell which pages he's licked. They're a little wrinkly. I mean, you know... Moisture and paper that necessarily interact. I
0: wouldn't well. expect it with with this particular book, but uh, all right, I, I see your dreams. Thank you. you. You have them.
1: It's it's good to be here.
2: But that's it's that was that you. was one really fun thing about the book is we could take this character from the Bloodfest Club script, we could take the characters from Hooch and Daddyo, and then um, you know bring in some of these other stories that we had published in Ink and Drink, and then a, a new short story, and pull that all together in one anthology, uh, and sort of. Sort of close the chapter on those characters for a while, and then uh, you know, like I said before, uh, kind of continue on with with another story in the future.
0: And you have a great um, was this a quote or a testimonial here? A board of glorious guts, sure to satisfy the fans of every comic genre. And that's from Paul Soder. Am I saying Paul that right? Soder? Paul Soder. Soder mm-hmm. Damn yeah. it! And he was a director <laughs> of uh, Super Troopers.
1: Well, he was. Yeah. He's from Broken Lizard. He wasn't the director. He was one of the co writers and actors
0: it says writer director actor super troopers the well, fest in dark circles
1: he, he was the
2: director of dark circles which is ah. a really cool horror movie that he that he did but he's one of the core members of broken lizard and uh you know he's in obviously in super troopers too and they were very successful in, in a yoga s- sequel to super troopers? the yoga campaign yeah i think they raised you know over three million dollars i a think crazy money yeah. uh but nice. he was uh he was involved in the Bloodfest club uh you know, at one point and, and gave us a lot of good feedback and notes that we've incorporated into into the story. So he was uh, very supportive yeah. and a, a mentor to us uh, and, uh, you know, took a look at the rough and tumble and uh, graciously gave us that that quote.
0: And, and how did you meet him?
2: Uh, we met him through the producer that had optioned the screenplay, okay. Mark Andrews, who's All been right. also a really um, big supporter of ours. Uh, So it was really great when we could um, sort of parlay that into, um, you know, a quote for our our new book. And uh, like I said, they were were really great helping out. Actually, Mark Andrews, the producers in the book, is one of the characters in the background. I think he's holding a hot dog that gets shot out of his hand. (laughs) Um, That was actually a really fun thing with the Kickstarters. We could allow people to donate at a level where they get a reward of, you know, actually seeing their likeness used in the stories. Actually be in the book. Yeah. interacting with the characters. That's
0: fantastic. Yeah, I recommend comic fans to pick this book up now now going back to Bloodfest club did you were you doing your you did your own stunts there and uh did, <laughs> there's some interesting clips in the uh in the documentary Bloodfest club down on the farm where uh yeah it's pretty zany you, you uh you jumped on firecrackers you did all kinds of crazy things there how was that
1: it was fun i love doing stuff like that i love all that physical stuff it was it was great actually um I worked with Eric Stanzi, who's a, a St. Louis-based filmmaker on a film uh, earlier this year that comes out next year, and I got to do some physical stuff in there, and I, I love doing that kind of stuff. It's just, it's so much fun. I remember when we were doing Smoking Monkey Theater together, I was usually the one that would have to fall down a lot, <laughs> <laughs> all the time, and uh, I just, I don't know, just it's like, you know, acting is like being a kid. It's just so much fun to just pretend and... Just have fun. You know, jump around and it's great.
2: And he's so sweaty when he does it. I mean, it's it's it it becomes a hazard uh, of the job, I think. I
1: am sweaty, but I think people that we work with know that it's passion. That's passion coming out in liquid form. And they get it, and
2: that's cool. I think I've been splattered by your sweat more than one occasion. Mm. And I'm not talking about, like, the movie stuff. (laughs) Right. You
1: have. (laughs) Not always on set. That's right. Um, Moving on.
0: But doing all these stunts, do you find, I mean, is your back okay? Is it... Uh, My back's great. You get back problems? Well, if, if you find when Why you're...
1: are you so interested in me physically? I don't understand why you're asking me these questions. Jim, I mean, you know, I... I'm married. Ken, listen Jim, to me, you're Ken. You're a
0: friend, and I want you to have proper well-being. And I'm saying if you ever have any back problems that you need fixed you can go to Dr. Mark Holland one of my sponsors and friends I've known the guy since kindergarten I go to him to get adjustments Uh, when I go to his St. Charles office over there on First Capital the name First Capital Chiropractors Okay, there you go Chiropractic and Rehab you can find him at www.chiroandrehab.com
1: easy to remember
0: but yeah, so you need to know these things, Jim. You're doing stunts. You're falling down on stage. You know, if you just want a massage, you want to go there and just get loose before an interview like this, a, a clutch cargo <laughs> interview. You know, you could you could go get a massage and be nice and loose and be funny.
2: Now we're still talking about your, your doctor, right? Not getting massage. Oh, not you. not for okay. me. I, okay. okay. I, I don't oh, with the I'm sweat as, and everything. I'm not I not with interested, that. Interested.
0: But yeah. Dr. Mark Holland uh, four area locations, including Wildwood, First Capital, in St. Charles, North County. And downtown St. Louis, you know, I, he'll definitely take care of you. So if you ever find that your neck or back is is uh, just kind of out of whack, there, then uh, go. He'll he'll take some X rays before he uh, before he sees you. And also, they're great for raising money for toys for tot. when well, not money for toys for tots. Although he does a lot of charitable work, which I love. But uh, you know, for you can bring in uh, bring in a toy, and then a lot of times he'll give the exam for free. So great oh, guy. Yeah, very First cool. Capital nice. very Chiropractic nice. and Rehab.
1: Does he have those cool things they put on your back, those uh, electronic stimulus things? Muscle stim, yeah, he oh, has that. I it's love amazing, those. and you I can then he
0: has a massage table, and you can lie on that and this roller. It's it's great. Nice. Yeah, the I muscle stems nice and tingly.
1: Very cool. Yeah,
0: right on. So uh, speaking of, you go to uh, Rough and Tumble. You have a story called Kings of the Nighttime World. Is there any influence behind that title? What uh, <laughs> where would that come from?
1: Well, yeah, I'm a I'm a huge Kiss fan, much to the dismay of my my friend and colleague, Oscar Madrid. I
2: I've, I've learned to embrace them. I mean, they played uh, Kiss actually um, sort of uh, has a, a special spot in my heart now that they've played um, the first outdoor well, one of the first outdoor uh, hockey events. They actually okay. had them play between uh, I think one of the intermissions and. Uh, um, it was actually really fun to, to see them doing that. And, and they, because they don't take themselves very seriously, um, I've, I've started to. Uh, and well, you got me the, uh, the Star Child. or you, I think you gave me Catman, maybe a little Catman. I think Man it was the Catman. Yeah. yeah. So um, I play with that every day. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've, I've learned to love them.
0: Now, is your Catman figurine based on Peter Chris or is it based on Eric Singer? Oh, my gosh.
2: I have no idea.
1: I and mean, th- it's an important question. I here. think it's somewhere in between. I think it's an amalgamation of the two, Kevin, <laughs>
0: <laughs> because that's a big if you're if you're a, a fan of Kiss as Jim is, and I, I've been dying to find this out. We haven't talked about this, yeah. But out there, I listen to Eddie Trunk's podcast and some others, uh, Chris Jericho, and they always talk about is it is it a bad thing that you have. The non-original
1: members wearing the makeup. Okay, you're to get you're going to get me going on a rant. Yeah, here.
0: Yeah, that's what I need, man. We need to get some big bigger ratings for this show. That's, <laughs> I think we can do that. I, with, I think with you on a rant.
1: I think Eddie Trunk is great as far as uh, I think he's great at promoting uh, classic metal bands that a lot of people haven't heard. I know he's a big Kiss fan. Um, I don't get his complaint though um, about the new Kiss members. I understand what he's saying. But I don't understand why he harps on it all the time. You know, I think um, when I go see Kiss, I'm well aware that it's not Ace and Peter up there. That it's Tommy Thayer on guitar and Eric Singer. But I don't want to see, like, Giraffe Boy or Turtle Man. You know what I mean? I want to see the Catman and the Spaceman. I'm cool with them wearing the makeup. You know, And in some way, it's an homage or homage, if you will, to the to Ace and Peter that they're still using that makeup. So I think it's just a—it's not a big deal. I think he makes too big of a deal out of it.
0: Well, I think him being close friends with Ace and Peter, I, I think that's there's, there's a personal connection there. So I think that's that's yeah. part of part of his rant. But now looking forward, there's talk that eventually Paul and Gene will retire. Yet Kiss will keep going, and it, it's more of a brand now than it is a band.
1: Yeah, and I can see that. But that's that'll be kind of where I hop off the train as far as seeing them live, anyway. You know. Um, I've always been a, a Gene and Paul fan above anything else. You know, as long as they're in the band, I'm cool with it. You and know? you you've
2: met both of them, uh, and yeah,
1: yeah, I met um all the guys, and uh, I've interviewed Paul a couple of times actually, uh, for Playback STL interviewed him for them, and see, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of those guys. So whatever they do, I, I just think that if I, uh, I don't know how they can have a band go on tour them wearing their makeup and and be a functioning band because you can't really control human beings. I don't know how they would control you know, the behavior or what they could potentially bring into the band that would harm it and you know, it it's who knows? I'm sure they've got they've got plans.
0: They have a plan. Doc McGee has a plan. Yeah. There's just so much money in the into Kiss that uh I, I think it'll be around forever. Maybe Maybe Gene's son. He's a musician. Maybe he takes over. Who Who knows? Who yeah. knows what the plan is there?
2: Now, Jim, but, would you still go on the Kiss Cruise? <laughs> I, I did go on the Kiss <laughs> Cruise. Oh, you've been on the C-
0: Kiss Cruise? <laughs> Were you there? When, when was this? What year? My was wife this? and I
1: went on uh, Kiss Cruise 4, which was last year. We didn't go this year, but we went last year, and it was amazing. I mean, if you're a Kiss fan... You know, if you're a rock and roll fan, that's awesome because Cheap Trick was there. Oh, yes. Uh, Robin Zander did like a, some solo shows. Um, Dead Daisies with Rich Fortas, who's from St. Louis, and Guns N' Roses and stuff. And I mean, the whole time there was always a cool band playing. Um, the members of Kiss hosted different things on board. Um, they played two theater shows, they played an acoustic show. Um, you get your picture taken with them in full makeup. You know, when I fist bumped with Gene in full demon makeup, I was like, a ten-year-old again,
2: some deep cuts. were are playing. Yeah, they play
1: deep cuts. It was it was awesome, they have a TV channel that's like it's all Kiss concerts. All over the PA, it's all Kiss music. I mean, it was like I I went to heaven. <laughs> you know, it was it was great.
0: Yeah, I was just listening to Jericho's show the other day, and he was talking about Fozzie playing on the Kiss cruise, and he said the same. If you're a Kiss fan, they have throughout the cruise. Kiss music is being piped over the loud, uh, the, uh, the PA system on the ship, and you get to hang out with those guys. And, and the deep cuts is, is pretty cool that you normally, cause anymore, and I just saw Kiss at Riverport or whatever they call it now. And then I saw them a few years back when they were doing the smaller shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? The barn shows? Is that what they're calling them? Yeah. So I saw them there, and Paul's voice was, was really rough at that point. This last show, they sounded pretty good. Yeah. But, uh, Typically you're only hearing the, the seventies era songs. And I grew up, you know, I think the first kiss album that I listened to was lick it up. Right. And they have some great songs in that era, the, the Bruce Kulik era. And I think Eric Singer started, started out in that time, but you really don't hear, I think they played lick it up and they may have played tears are falling or something, something along that line. But you typically don't hear those, those eighties, eighties songs. You're mainly just hearing the seventies songs.
1: Yeah, I was wow. my first record I bought with my own money was Animalize by Kiss.
0: Oh yeah, I, I enjoyed that album.
1: Burn, bitch, burn! It's a fine number.
0: <laughs> and Oscar, you had mentioned uh, that you had on the trailer you had uh, the voice of of one of the characters in Return of the Jedi.
2: Yeah, Mark Dodson, uh, you know, uh, local guy, uh, had no idea that uh, you know, the the voice of the Gremlins and Salacious Crumb was right down the street. Um, but we no met way. him I through uh No idea. That's <laughs> through, amazing. through Patrick Voss, uh, who was uh, did all the creature effects for us on the on the Bloodfest Club, a short and uh super talented guy who said, "Hey, I've got the perfect guy to be your announcer for the trailer." and uh we were looking you know for for a certain sound um, we wanted the same sound that uh you know those old Chuck norris movies had uh with those trailers so we um we uh, we talked to mark and uh he was amazing uh he actually uh did some voices for me over the phone Told, told me to tell my wife that the Gremlins say hi because she's a big fan. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, uh, he, he, he was very detail-oriented, so he actually found the mic or the mic that those announcers would have used in that era and used the same mic and emulated the voice. And, uh, I mean, it was just perfect. It couldn't have been any better. But, I mean, uh, if you didn't know any better, you'd think you were listening to a
1: Canon Films trailer on a VHS. That's exactly what it sounded yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. Which is perfect
0: that is fantastic and speaking of star wars i mean that's uh where this interview is taking place was this the night before the original opening or does it open tonight
1: it opens tomorrow night Okay,
0: tomorrow night yeah. which is mm-hmm. odd opening on a thursday i mean you don't see that
1: well they used maybe. to do midnight showings but then they brought it back a little bit earlier so that you know
0: okay guy, i see now i see now you guys excited to see this uh this new star wars movie Oh
2: my God yeah I'm excited i'm I'm nervous it's so silly, but yeah i'm I'm, I'm nervous about it.
0: and why yeah. are you nervous? I'm just about to put on my therapist cap and why, <laughs> yeah. why, why Oscar? why are you nervous?
2: you know uh i I really um like many people it's not it's nothing new, um, but the prequels uh changed me. Uh, and not for the better, <laughs> um, but they they did some damage. Uh, so, um, and I do not expect that same you know type of reaction that I had when I went and saw *Phantom Menace* and um, was so let down. Um, but uh, I do um, you know I, I am worried that it's maybe too fan oriented and maybe um, they're pandering to you know a certain group. And so those are maybe my concerns. Um, but I really just want it to be a fun popcorn movie. I'm not looking for any sort of deep meaningful you know moment uh and I think it will be that but I'm just I'm trying to be a little bit uh, you know cautious about how I approach it and and my expectations for it but everything tells me that it's going to be a really really great movie so um and everything I've heard about it and I obsess just like Jim does and I'm sure you know uh you do as well to some extent over all the Star Wars content so I'm watching old documentaries and I've been really building up to this moment and I haven't Really immerse myself in any of the theories and that sort of thing, I'm kind of aware of some of the things that exist, but uh, I've been just you know kind of preparing myself for this, so uh I sound like such a geek saying no, all this but that's true but it but it is one, it's know. absolutely true, and uh you know it's exciting because you know I have a son and and Jim has two sons, and it's nice to be able to introduce them to this. You know this new era and uh this is going to be my son's very first you know experience of star wars in a movie theater uh so mm-hmm. um that's going to be really fun to experience yeah i mean it's uh
1: i remember being a little kid and seeing the original star wars at jamestown mall during its first run and uh it is it really sounds geeky and corny but it really changed my life i mean it just uh blew up my imagination and it just you know i knew more about star wars than i did about history or or math or english you know what i mean it just became this <laughs> part overriding of the problem thing, you know <laughs> <laughs> that is part of the problem but uh yeah it's amazing and to be able to share it with your kids is, is fantastic and i'm just thrilled that we're going to see harrison ford carrie fisher and mark hamill that is in su- the story, super cool yeah. and i'm
0: going to go see it with my nephew so i'll have that experience see the look on his face and the excitement that he has when he sees this but i just think the and I, and he was too young when the the prequels came out or i don't even know if he was born at that point but uh yeah the prequels they just i just find it having to explain everything and, and i think that was the, the the glorious nature of the first three that there was that mystery in there you didn't know who these characters were and then going back I think he could have explored a different backstory that led up to the Clone Wars without Mm -hmm. having to give away the whole Anakin Skywalker story and all that. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny
2: you. uh, So you know, I introduced uh, my son to um, you know A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back and the original trilogy, and as I were kind of watching those movies, you know, that sold them on Star Wars. And then I was like, you know what, you know, I know George Lucas, you know, wrote these, you know, er, you know these uh, prequels for children, so maybe I should. Give those, uh, you know, a fair shake and introduce those to him as well. And he thought the clone troopers were cool and all of that. And Jar Jar Binks was kind of funny. Um, but I actually find myself when I play those movies for him, I have to skip to different scenes to keep him <laughs> interested because sure. when they go into all the sort of like you know politics or the sort yeah. of slow moments, he completely checks out from the movie. Uh, So (laughs) that tells me everything that I need to know about those movies. But uh, I don't think we'll have to do the same with with the next uh, set of movies.
1: Yeah, Attack of the Clones, if you actually flip through the Anakin scenes and just stay on the Obi-Wan scenes, it's a pretty kick-ass Obi-Wan movie, actually. I agree. Yeah, I agree. But otherwise, no.
0: And then also, we were talking earlier, Jim, that there's a different order to watch those. Because I think now, if you start your kid out on number one, then that just ruins four or five and six because then it's like oh yeah i already knew that i'm not gonna in case any kids are listening to this episode i don't want to give that that spoiler away. <laughs> well you I know hope it's that's like, not the case <laughs> yeah. you know it's his father so you're just like wait i knew that when I, mean, I saw the you know the first movie or the third movie and he's like yeah that surprise which i think back when Empire Strikes Back came out. When when that happened, he cuts his arm off, and then he's hanging there, and he says, by the way, I'm your father. And you're just like, holy, oh,
1: my yeah.
2: God, that's insane.
1: Right, yeah, and you want to preserve that. You know, I remember when I saw The Empire Strikes Back on its first run at, at Corps Cinema. Um, it was kind of neat, because my dad took me to see it. We were late. We got in there like a quarter into it. Holy and they let cow. us stay... To watch the second viewing, so we can catch up and watch it again to the end. Uh, the Vader being the the father was uh, a big deal, but what really freaked me out was Han Solo frozen and carbonite. Oh yeah, I mean I was amazing. freaked out. You know, I was like, "What the hell is going on here?" It was really. I mean, if you're a kid, you see that, it's a pretty stark, crazy, thing to happen to one of your to your favorite character, you know. Is he dead? What's going on? And then you get to wait three years to see what happens. Oh,
2: it's (laughs) agonizing. Yeah, you were telling me that you were, um, you know, between A New Hope and Empire, that you were going back. uh, Well, actually, you sort of embraced the comic books because that was your only sort of way to understand how the story was unfolding.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds ancient to talk about it now, but we didn't have, you know, VCRs or anything. So the only way to experience Star Wars again was, either beg your parents to take you to see it or read the comics or read the storybook you know that was the only way you could experience star wars and, and the, now.
2: yeah i mean uh, my first uh, exposure i saw return of the jedi it was the first star wars movie that i saw and then i went back and recorded um or my grandparents recorded like uh, empire strikes back off of hbo and i i'd never seen a new hope and it was like this You know, dream of mine to be able to see a new hope. And I remember a babysitter that I had when I was a kid said, Oh, there's a girl in the next neighborhood that has a new hope on Betamax. So if you can get a Betamax player, you'll be able to see A New Hope finally. And I was like, "Oh, I'll never be able to get one of those. I'll never see this movie." And uh, so I was like, "You know, that was such a you know experience for me." But I remember seeing it in the theater and obviously loving it. Now I watch Return of the Jedi, and I, you know, I feel the way most people feel about it. But yeah, um, but yeah, I think this is you know, I'm I'm gonna be a kid again tomorrow night. So yeah, nice. we're seeing it together.
0: Ooh,
1: yeah. that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. I've taken my son, and uh, Osw's got a friend of his going, of ours going actually. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be great.
0: Yeah, it should be cool. And are, are you guys gonna stay off of social media for? I mean, I don't know if anybody's seeing it tonight. So you you'll probably be the first batch. So I'm not seeing it until Sunday. So I think I'm I'm going to try to stay away because I think people are going to be throwing all kinds of things out. Oh there. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. People are
1: people are crazy about spoilers. I don't know what it is about people that want to when they see something happen and this happened to me during you know watching like walking dead it's like oh this person died it's like why is it so important to you Mm -hmm. to say that (laughs) you know what i mean yeah yeah
2: yeah and and i you know i have no sympathy for people that get spoilers through social media i mean it's a as you said, it's a it's a pretty easy solution. You can just stay off of it, and that's what I plan to do up until tomorrow, just in case there's anything that's thrown out there. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I never feel compelled to to do that. I don't know yeah. what it's, it is. It's but. a strange compulsion. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Or should you smite people that put? Spoilers out there. It could be the Scarlet Letter. As somebody <laughs> that you know put spoilers out there. No, it's it, not. Create some kind of meme or something <laughs> and just 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 destroy them. I there are a few so, memes so already. Nobody will follow them anymore.
2: Yeah. I, I read something that said uh, during Empire Strikes Back that the people that would leave the theater would yell. That uh that Darth Vader was like right. father at people that were waiting in line back then. That yeah. is some bullshit. Oh, is. How horrible. Oh That's my terrible. So So
0: spoilers are not new with social media. No. These people these people have been out there for years. <laughs> They've always been around. And it's like yeah. these are the, the people on social media are these people now on social media or the kids of
1: them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's so fast and immediate on social media. Yeah. You know, you didn't have to be in that line. You don't have to be in a, a line to hear about it now. You can just flip open your but phone. But if you were in oh, that line lap. back then oh or now, gosh.
0: I mean, if somebody did that now, if you're in line and somebody comes out and, <laughs> and says Luke Skywalker is or whatever the situation is, are you just going to throw down and just beat their ass? No.
1: Damn, only, only because I'm not, you know.
3: I'm trying to get a little heat in this I'm show. So <laughs> I'm a lover, not a fighter.
1: Ken, I'm a lover, not a fighter.
2: Can I will absolutely. I'll beat their ass. Yeah, We play it. hockey. He's the hockey player. Can you some of those skills? With a stick and then I'll run. As you can tell, he's
1: the really aggressive one. I'm sort of the laid back, sensitive one in our creative partnership. So I'm not going to raise a fist to anyone,
0: Jim. I'm disappointed. And I thought <laughs> no, I there goes I you? there goes the ratings. I was you know I'm going to put explicit on this show, so people are like, whoa, what are they hearing? So I had to throw out the word ass. I told to you, you I'm a lover, the, I'm a fighter, and, and you I, can
1: easily, as a host. You could easily capitalize on that and explore the lover part, but you're not doing it. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. But yeah, I don't know, man. It, it hits just, too close uh, to home. Yeah, I know. It's just
0: too. <laughs> yeah, it does. Those are private matters that I don't want to put out in this, in the, on the internet, and in this show. I
2: do feel like I'm interrupting when I'm <laughs> around you guys. You're not. Join us.
0: But you didn't invite me to go see Star Wars, so right there, the relationship is over. Man,
1: there's so many people. I mean, like all of my friends love Star Wars, so it's like yeah there was a you know a lot of people I didn't ask you know and we're going because we talk to each other all the time yeah you know but uh you're welcome to join us
0: "Ah, Jim I'm gonna write with Jim and we'll have this bond and now I have to now I have trauma just like Oscar had trauma from the (laughs) From the from the prequels you had trauma from seeing Han and carbonite I need to uh, I need to work some EFT do you know about EFT no also, also known as tapping yeah it's it's a good thing it's I've, I've used it over the years and it's it's called emotional freedom technique and it uh, it helps me deal with those traumatic experiences and open up my energy system so now that I'm feeling this from this you're traumatizing me Jim I, I thought we were closer than that um, my, mm. my father practices EFT as well as John Vlasich from episode two of conversations with Cal go back and oh. listen to that. But uh, if you want to find more about that, uh, you know, my dad, he's helped out on, on some of the projects yeah. mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure you've heard him talking about EFT on the projects. Uh, I know he talked, talked about it with our good friend, Matt Romano, many times right. they were in tune with that, but just mm-hmm. give him a call. 314. Uh, oh, now I'm forgetting his number. 314 uh, 732 Or Ken at EFTWellnessTL.com So that's uh, com, Or no, no, at uh Now I'm screwing this up, man. I thought I had this sponsorship thing down at EFTWellness.com So awesome. yeah, I, I had that in there. But I'll also post it on the comment section so you guys can go through along with uh, the Bloodfest Club down on the farm. So mm-hmm. now that I'm over my my trauma here. And yeah, we're all friends again. <laughs> I'm
1: uh, I'm tapping into you right now. I'm digging what you're laying down. Well, thank you, man. I'm thank curious. You. Honestly, I'm curious what you're going to ask next. It's killing no, me. We
0: should, we didn't fully talk about the proper, the machete order of watching star Wars. So, so, so lay this down here, Jim.
1: So the machete order, uh, you start with episode four. Then you go to episode five. Okay. When, when I'm Luke finds with out that, that. Vader's yeah. yeah, dead, and then you go back and watch episode two in episode three. So that's kind of like a cool flashback so you can see what happened. Oh, lost the microphone there. Um, you see what happened there, and then you go back to episode six to close it out. So I hear that's a great way of preserving the surprise for people that haven't seen it yet and it gives more sort of use and function to episode two and three.
0: I haven't watched them in that order, and I mean, I've, I've talked about this, I've thought about this many times, and I tell people... Because, yeah, you don't want your kids to, go, to, to lose that experience or new people to lose that great experience and lose the drama. And and I think part of that drama, which I think was brilliant, that I just recently learned that Lawrence Kasdan is one of the writers on, on the new Star Wars yeah, Episode mm-hmm. seven. And it's like, yeah. wow, because Empire Strikes Back is... If I had to put a list together of my top ten, I think Empire Strikes Back would be in my top ten. And Raiders of the Lost Ark, another great, great film. And so it's awesome that they brought him him in to write it and i think one of his sons along with jj J. abrams so i i have i feel pretty good that when you have have those people writing the script that you'll have something solid so you're bringing somebody back that created some of the greatest movies in the 80s mm-hmm.
1: yeah
0: I, I think it's i think it's gonna be pretty good
1: is empire your favorite your favorite out of the bunch yes how about you oj
2: yeah that's yeah, it's a, it is definitely. And it's amazing, just even the little dialogue snippets that you hear in the trailers and the T V spots. I mean, some really interesting dialogue and you know and powerful. You can already stuff. tell us, yeah. I've written. avoided yeah. all the
0: trailers. I haven't i, That's I saw, amazing. I saw a couple clips on Sixty Minutes the other night when they were talking to JJ Abrams and, and what his experience has been and just three years just fully dedicated to that. And I, I think it's gonna be a cool film. And I, I love the fact that they've gone back to using Real props You see them. They have a millennium Full Practical effects Yeah, yeah. Practical effects and, and you know Very sparingly On the digital effects And I think that's One of the problems That, that the prequels had with, with the really Wooden acting Because it's just All green screen There's a couple of
1: props It's not fun for the actors I, I mean I can't imagine It's fun for the actors To just act in a green screen And not have a real A real solid Tangible environment To interact with This is not as As fun I wouldn't think You know I mean, I think when you're watching the, you know, the thing with George Lucas, it seems like he's, you know, he, he started, you know, Lucasfilm and Industrial Light and Magic, and um, he was the guy that actually started Pixar before he sold it, you know, and I forget about that all these, yeah. all these things, and so he, I understand wanting to push technological boundaries, but I think when you're watching those movies, it, you know, after a while, you know that you're, what you're seeing on set isn't isn't real, you know what I mean, and it just kind of like, um it feels a little isolated it kind of removes you from the experience a little bit that that's how I feel anyway I think digital effects are great to enhance things but I think if you make that the whole enchilada then it's you know because if you do that you remove physics you know and if you remove physics you remove like dramatic tension if you remove that then who cares about what you're seeing
0: I like the way you're talking with that.
1: Oh, I'm. <laughs> I want like to roll, baby. There <laughs> we I'm just go. Like,
0: Whoa, wait till this script that we're writing is is gonna be when, when that's completed. You're putting me under some scary. pressure here I am. on your script. <laughs> I am, I've got yeah. like
1: five things I'm you know I'm working on, so I we'll know. we'll definitely get it done.
0: And I do find it amazing. One thing that that you know, I called you guys a dynamic duo. I love the fact that you have this partnership and the fact that you are doing this essentially on your free time and doing really cool things. It's just I. I don't know if if I was working a nine-to-five, if I would have the energy and I would would do some of the things I do that I can as a freelancer. So my hat's off to you guys for doing that and creating things that I consider a a high level that that are really cool. Well, thank you. you.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, with Oscar, besides the fact that we've known each other, I mean, I've known him since he was – since you were 18. Mm -hmm. I used to drive him to play practice for a Smokey Monkey Theater. I used to pick him
2: up at his mom's house. They're and, called um, rehearsals uh, in the business. Oh, yeah, play uh, practice, that re- sounds kind of shady. Yeah, I know. I had a friend who always made <laughs> fun of me. Can I take
0: your son to play practice?
3: <laughs> this is a
1: play I date. have a friend who makes fun of me for that what? all the time. Yeah. He always calls me out. But uh, I, and I've worked with, you know, from being in bands and stuff, I've always, I've had some fun creative partnerships. But there's no one who I've worked better with than Oscar. And I think it's because... Besides being talented, I'm not just saying that because you're here. It's also because he's never let me down. Like he's he's very like minded. Like you're letting me down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. it takes
0: time, audience. It takes time. Uh, Jim's great. I, I have I, no real ideas right now either. It's kicking my ass. So.
1: Um, with Oscar though, he's a he's a follow through guy. Like like I am. I like to, if I take the time to start something, I want to finish it, and he's. He's a guy who is the same way and he will not abandon it. You know, we don't, we don't walk away from stuff. We just, we do it. We have a goal. We, we go for it and that's it. And that's awesome.
0: Now that's fantastic. And I find myself, there's projects that are still on my radar that I'm still chipping away at, but I haven't, I start a few new things to kind of fund the other projects. So it's like, oh wait, this is a documentary I'm passionate about that. Documentaries don't make money. So let me let me do a project that's more commercial. Then I start working on that, and I have no funds for that. And it's just it just takes a while. It takes a while. So yeah. hopefully, you know, it's a marathon. And I'm looking at it that um, you know, once one thing hits, then maybe that'll open up the the possibilities to find the collaborators to take these other visions. And that's what we started talking about, George Lucas. And I think he's he's a pioneer. Yeah, you know, he's done a lot he had great people designing the ships and the droids and things like that. And then he, early on after the episode four script, he had Lawrence Kasdan write that he had uh, he brought in Irwin Kirshner to uh direct empire and he was getting help at that point. And then with the digital age, I think he just thought, okay, I can do all this on my own. And then it just didn't turn out as, as great. So I think that's, a mistake he had made at that point because he had all that power and the, the technology was a little a little different you know he had a, a lot of resources but it's like okay now i'll shoot hd and this will be a, easier i mean but hats off to that guy because and the greatest decision he ever made was instead of taking a back-end deal was taking merchandising rights and nobody wanted that at the time and what a genius! Yeah, I mean, yeah. There,
2: there's a really fascinating documentary that's a Lucasfilm documentary on uh, Episode One. That's uh, really interesting as they're kind of going through the process, and there's a lot of you know yes men in the in the in some of the uh, the uh, the documentary. But um, I read a really interesting article on um, George Lucas and his first wife, uh, who edited uh, a new Russian hope. Lucas, yeah, 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 and uh, it talked about a lot of the editing decisions that um, she really. Um, pushed him into that he wasn't really wanting to to make like uh, uh in particular like um he wanted to cut the moment where um carrie fisher you know kisses mark hamill and says you know good luck before they swing across mm. uh and he wanted to sort of take that moment out he also wanted to cut the little mouse droid that sort of squeaks around the desktop. Oh, that's great uh, oh that mouse uh, droid is amazing <laughs> And she encouraged him to keep that in there and those little moments yep. of charm and humor they really didn't. They didn't find their way into the prequels, really. Um, yeah, right. And uh, so so when it, that
0: mouse droid, when when Chewy growls and it just and it just does a about face and drives off.
1: Those are the simple moments I mean, you live for. in those Yeah, movies, no doubt. You know? No doubt. So
2: I mean, surrounding yourselves with that talent and then you know listening to them. Well, that, I, and that's the problem mm, with
0: yeah. yes men who yeah. are just going to say everything you're doing is great, even when it's not. And then when now we're talking about the movie and you're traumatized and oh, I don't know if I can. This new movie, I'm. Uh, you know, breathe, Oscar, breathe.
1: But talking about collaborators and, and collaborating, you know, it's to me, it's more fun to collaborate. It's so much more fun to do that than it is to work on something by yourself. It, it really is. And, you know, with uh, like working with Ben Sawyer, our artist that we work with a lot, we work with a few artists, but Ben is um, really a guy that we feel comfortable with and we, we always feel like we're on the same page with him, you know, and uh, that, that really takes us up a notch. And it's hard to do, it's hard to find people that you want to collaborate with because everybody has different working
2: habits and
1: you just never know.
2: And when you give them that freedom, you know, to, uh, contribute in a way that, um, you're not, you know, micromanaging them and, and, and they can kind of go away and they come back with something that's, you know, 10 times better than you ever expected. And that's the same to be said for what Grant did with the design. It's like, what's the design? Well, you're going to, you're going to define that and you can do that and, you know, and bring us back some options and we loved everything. And that's the same with the artwork. I mean, it's rare that we would see anything and say, Oh, you know, this is, you know, we got to rethink this. And uh, this book came together very smoothly because, um, I mean, they work really well with us. So, uh, I mean, that to me is, um, as Jim said, I mean, that's the, the, the beauty of what we're doing and that's what, uh, once makes me want to do it again is that, that, you know, that collaboration.
1: Once you have a good collaborator, you can trust them enough to let go. You know what I mean, and to say if you have a better idea, let's go for it. We're always about whoever has the best idea. It doesn't matter who. Let's just let's do that and go for it in whatever creative decision there has to be made. You know, if you got a better idea, fine. I T- think it's paid off for you of guys.
0: It. Yeah, there's with the projects that you've done. Just amazing work, as as I state again. Thanks, buddy. Guys, Thank it's you. it's been amazing having you here. Uh, having this discussion, working together with you guys over the years and some future projects, which we have cooking up. But uh, I can't thank you enough. And I look forward to seeing what uh, what you guys create as a team in the future and and what we have the opportunity to create together as well.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely.
0: Well, if you want to praise me even more, you, you can. But
2: nah, it's, no, we'll just, I'm we'll just, <laughs> all, all right.
0: <laughs> Thanks, fellas. Bye.